Hey Matt, welcome back. Thank you. From uh, your little podcast tour. <laughs> yeah, making the rounds in the digital space. Yeah. As I said on Twitter, it's now been three episodes in a row where we got our podcast mentioned on the Art of Product podcast. That's where you were. Yeah, that was that was a great conversation with Derek. Uh, I enjoyed that. It was a surprise invite that I got last week. And uh, of course, we talked before, but it was really great being on the show. And that was exciting to see it go live yesterday. So, Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. Nice. And listening to it. Um, it made me think, because um, you talked about why you you felt like this time this podcast was actually going to our podcast was going to be a thing um cuz a lot of people start podcasts and then they never they kind of discontinue them pretty soon after yeah um i thought about it a bit as well and like my gut feeling is is pretty strong as well like i i feel like we'll keep doing this for a long time i think so too i mean there's a there's a groove you get into but i think the trick is obviously continue to stay motivated having the content i i think there's just a lot to talk about so for yeah. me this is this is I, I really enjoy doing it and uh, i don't see myself getting bored talking about these things with you anytime soon um, and it, it from our charts it looks like uh, listeners are also not getting bored of listening to us yet <laughs> so up and to the right up and to the right yeah um yeah i, th- I thought about how like I, I really look forward to our calls and it's the only time we speak besides type like we, we slack all the time but it's the only time we speak and I really enjoy it I always look forward to it so I th- I feel like it's it's pretty easy to do it because I'm like waiting for it I'm waiting for the day where we get to talk yeah and I love doing this on we do this on Friday mornings and it's a really nice way to get into the the week is ending mode yeah. for me so and it's later there too right you're you're, you're in the yeah it's afternoon hours here. yeah cool so it's pretty cool and then actually i really <laughs> this might sound weird but i really enjoy listening to a podcast as well i'm always like waiting for it to show up in my feed because we record on fridays and then it come it it's released on wednesdays and it's a good the podcast for me is a good reminder of basically just like accountability wise from what i said five days ago (laughs) yeah i i listen to them as well and every once in a while my family catches me listening to one not on my headphones and (laughs) and are you are you listening to your own podcast like (laughs) yes but i think that's how i improve as well so i'm trying to get better at everything i mean it's so easy to forget what you did or what you said a week ago but listening back and then i don't know it kind of makes me remember what we talked about and then gets me in the kind of in the mindset to do the the next one for the current week same so yeah yeah. so far so good so far so good so what are we gonna talk Uh, about today we are gonna talk about assumptions that we have about our businesses um let me try to explain why i thought about this topic um by the way have you realized that it's we're 25 percent through our tiny seed year i very much have (laughs) (laughs) so 
I don't know. I'm really I'm feeling it these weeks right now. I really I want to see some results soon. Yeah. Um so I've been talking about strategy quite a lot and it's something that's taking up a lot of my mental space right now. Um and I like my product hasn't found product market fit yet. So I'm still like, you know, trying all like different things and like talking to people, showing the tool, trying to get them to sign up and like see if it's the right thing for them and doing a lot of things. And, you know, I haven't nailed it yet. So I'm still like, you know, I I don't want the whole tiny seed year to pass by and then I'm still like haven't found part market fit or whatever. Like I want this stuff to start happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about this a lot. Um, but I, I thought about assumptions cause it's, it's kind of been a tool for me this week to kind of stay motivated. Um, so what I did, I'm sure you'll like this. Um, but what I did this week was that I created a new document in notion called strategy. Mm. <laughs> and the first thing I wrote in the document was three assumptions that I have about branch and why it's a good idea and why I think it needs to exist basically. So like whenever I'm in doubt, like whenever, whenever I'm feeling like, oh man, like, am I building the right thing? Like, will people want it? All this stuff. I can go back, look at those assumptions. And if those, basically the idea is if those assumptions are still true, I should keep working on this thing. If that makes sense. I like it. Um, so yeah, that's why before we recorded this, I asked you to think about what assumptions you have for SimSass and you probably already have them written down somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I did have them written down, uh, actually have them charted, believe it or not. <laughs> so I, <I've, laughs> so uh, I, I'll, I'll talk about those, uh, but I like the idea of writing them down in Notion. I hadn't done that yet, but I will definitely do that and i'm already going to your notion page right now oh it's the it's my private branch (sighs) okay okay all right i see but if you want i'll read them out loud for you well i sure hope you do because the listeners can't get to that (laughs) (laughs) that's true so do you want do you want to hear what i wrote down yeah please okay so i got three of them the first one says wordpress developers are increasingly looking to cicd as a way to automate their workflow and improve the quality of their projects. This is basically, okay, people are actually want this, like they want this to exist. They want CICD. Yeah. Can I, I let me ask a yep. question about that. Do those yep. same developers want it because they experience CICD in other aspects of their professional life? Or is it just totally new to them because they're just always in WordPress and they don't have it yet? Um, there, there are kind of two different, I guess, two groups. Um, there are people that work in other with other technologies where they use CI/CD, and they want to kind of bring their Word, WordPress workflow up to speed, I guess, or like, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's maybe subpar for them. Um, and then the other, the other group is like WordPress developers primarily, but they hear a lot of continuous integration. They see it mentioned everywhere these days but they're a little bit intimidated by it mm-hmm. okay I, um, I, I buy that assumption <laughs> cool <laughs> well it's very important that you believe in it <laughs> if you don't yeah. believe in it it's kind of useless yeah i mean it, it it does there's evidence of it it's almost like the constitution of your company mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know the the 
the American constitution, you have those. Yeah, this, truth. Is, the, this is the preamble, right? This is, yeah. this is the self-evident truths, the yeah. a, a priori assumptions. But I wouldn't say a priori because yeah. they are based on evidence. Yeah. I, let me ask you this. When did you see, when did you accept those things to be true in your journey? As far I think, as this first assumption specifically. I think these assumptions kind of started out as a hypothesis. And then the more I talked to people, the more I saw their behavior and what they are asking for and all that stuff. I'm just, they're just been kind of proven to me. Yeah. Um, trying to sound very uh, scientific about it. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Okay. So the next one is WordPress developers increasingly want to test their code before and after deployment, but are intimidated by lack of education and high barrier of entry. So this is not really about continuous integration too much, but more about testing. And it's another thing with branch. I really hope I kind of can bring to WordPress developers, making testing your code easier. And uh, it's it's a very big value proposition. It's the thing I hear the most when I ask people why they actually want some continuous integration workflow. It's because they want to test their code. Um, and it's just very hard at the moment to do that. Yeah. Is that an increasing desire or it's pretty constant? Uh, how do you... It's increasing. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's increasing and people know, like people in the WordPress space right now, a lot of people feel bad about this. Like it makes them uncomfortable because they know, like they're starting to realize that they are quote bad developers <laughs> if, uh, if they don't test, but they don't even like, they don't know how to get started with it mm. and they're intimidated by it. Yeah. Is there a, is there a pressure sort of outside of that? That is WordPress projects are becoming more ambitious or demanding or complex over time as well. So that it doesn't, you don't really need to test a blog, maybe to the same extent you need to test yeah. this whole e-commerce platform. That's a good that point. To build, right? Yeah. That is one thing. Um, Cause WordPress, a WordPress site today is so many bits and pieces. There's a PHP backend and a JavaScript front end, and maybe, you know, like 10, 20 different plugins installed with, all this like different page builders and custom fields and like all this stuff that they kind of put together. Um, yeah. Interesting. There's a, there's a bunch of trends there. I mean, you talk about the plugin ecosystem itself being a, yeah. a driver of complexity, which means that it puts more stress on people to test. Yeah. Interesting. And then the last one I have is WordPress developers will prefer a WordPress specific solution over a generic one because of the ease of configuration and the educational slash inspirational aspects. And I am capable of building such a solution. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I, to me, that says, look, there's this, there's desire. I can make something that's desirable and, and it's feasible for me to do it. And, yeah. And there's also maybe an implicit assumption there that it's economically viable for you yeah. if you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then like, I have to believe that if there is a WordPress specific solution, people will choose that. Right over, yeah. So, 
because there is no lack yeah, yeah. of continuous integration tools right now. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a big space right now. There's a lot of funding and funded companies and stuff like that. But your assumption is that you can deliver something superior to a to a degree that you know to the extent they're switching or uh, to the extent that they have to choose between this or that yeah there's an obvious reason to choose my, yeah my assumption is basically that i i have a competitive advantage with wordpress developers because i'm building something for them only yeah significant significant differentiation yeah makes sense so those are my assumptions and it kind of it cheered me up actually to have these written down because now I look at them all the time and I'm like yeah this is the right thing <laughs> that's 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 really good I <laughs> uh I totally believe in having those things you refer back to I did that with um values recently or maybe about nice. six months ago yeah and that's something that I I was surprised at the evergreen value of doing that going back mm. to that and even just talking to contractors and potential, you know, talent to help me out, like sharing those with them, uh, yeah. puts you up, puts you in the same frame of mind. So I think, yeah, this is, this is good. This is like scalable. Um, this is a, yeah, this is a scalable sort of fundamental piece for you to have. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, man. Cool. Do you have something similar to this for SimSAS? Yeah, although not as concisely articulated, <laughs> uh, but I'll try on the fly. I mean, like I said, I, I kind of drew it out, literally kind of diagrammed some of yeah. the things happening in the world that I believe are happening. And I think that's effectively the same thing as what are the things that are beyond your control that you can, you can really bank on. And I think assumptions is fine, but it, it gets to the point where these things are accepted. You know, nobody's going to argue with these assumptions at some point, yeah. just, you know, do you accept it or not? How much evidence do you need? Um, yeah, yeah, so totally. I can uh, I can give it a, sh a shot here. <laughs> um, I think the first one would be that the I'll say this funding, whether you want to call that venture capital loans, revenue based financing, whatever it is, um, I think that those are not keeping up with the pace of new startups being launched and the pace of innovation that's happening in the world. So there's plenty of money, there's plenty of money out there, but the current way that investors and lenders look at companies and decide whether or not they are investable is too inefficient to fund the, the very long tail, um, of, of startups that are getting created and many of which need or deserve some amount of investment. Yeah. So that, that creates a lot of tension where, well, frankly, you have, now you have firms like tiny C that are sprouting up and providing money to startups that are in that zone where in the past um, you may have not, you just may have passed on these companies or, or, VCs in the Valley may have said, look, it's not worth my time to look at branch yet. Come back later. Mm. I think there is a, I think there are just structural inefficiencies that mean that those uh, traditional firms and, and really lenders too, just can't, they can't possibly look at and fairly evaluate all of the startups that are getting created 
every year. So sounds true. Yeah, I, and I think you see um, evidence of some pretty smart companies trying to meet the demand of these new companies getting created. So um, Stripe Atlas is a good example where yeah, you know you don't need something where you can pay five hundred dollars and have a company in in forty eight hours or seventy two hours unless there's enough demand for that. <laughs> um, yeah, but there is, you know, and and you know companies have won. There's just a lot of to me, I see a lot of evidence of this um, on a daily basis, really. So that, that's that's number one. Um, and so because of that, there is just a lot of, uh, there's a missed opportunity uh, there because there's way more startups that I think need or deserve uh, or could use some some form of investment that don't have it. So that's, an, that's a key assumption. Yeah. Behind the business. Makes sense. Yeah, um, so that's like the alt VC space sprouting up, and I think that will be accepted more and more. I think the other assumption that I'm making is that um, SaaS businesses, while uh, novel in the 90s and even in the early 2000s, I think SaaS businesses are getting to the point where the models of monetization, the go to markets, the funnels are becoming standardized to an extent where mm. there are becoming established and accepted playbooks for um, taking products that are SaaS uh, to market and scaling them and pricing them and all these things. Uh, and that's important because that means that as those things get standardized, they move from a land of completely custom where, you know, for SimSaaS, everybody needs a completely custom forecast that's created by hand, you know, by a CFO who's basically a craftsman, like an artisan, right? Um, yeah. Who needs to labor over every little detail to a place of standardization and productization of financial data and forecasting. Um, and that's, that's a key assumption is that, you know, yes, branch and SimSAS are different, but we actually have enough in common that you could put them both through a, a, a model and come out with pretty good answers for both. Yeah. And I think that's just us as an industry kind of growing in our understanding of how, how these, you know, software as a service businesses work. And, uh, yeah. So that's, that's another assumption. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it's, it's important to have something that you can look to and be like, when that thing is no longer true, like something drastic needs to happen with the business you're building. Right. Yeah. And I feel good about this one too, because the number of tools that are out there now, I mean, look at chart mogul, bear metrics, profit. Well, um, I mean, look at Stripe, right. And the value add tools that they're building. There's, there's just an explosion of tools for SaaS companies and you can't build a business on SaaS companies as your target audience. If there's not enough, standardization of how they operate no that makes sense cool yeah thanks and then, for uh, sharing that oh do you have more i have one more <laughs> okay you'll get one more <laughs> yeah cool well, I, I think i i think you got three didn't you yeah okay true. am i at three okay <laughs> <laughs> last one um is i believe that there is a a slide towards the types of deals that are getting done at the a stage 
are the kinds of deals that were being done at the B stage 10 years ago. Yeah. Meaning the, the bar, the level of, um, level of maturity of the businesses that are getting invested in are much higher for a series A than they were 10 years ago. And that's because I think um, funding is moving down where seed rounds are larger. You've got now two to three rounds of funding happening prior to series A now. So companies are taking those and getting much farther along than they used to before they raise their A round. And labels aside, what's what I think is basically happening is I think startups are able to get started on much less money. And they're doing a lot more in the earlier stages. But what that also means is that with the explosion of seed funds and investment, there's an increasing demand to somehow analyze those startups at the earliest stages, understand their business models, look at their financial data, all the things that SimSAS facilitates. I think there's just a rising tide of investors who want to invest earlier, but are also looking a lot more analytically at earlier stage investments than they used to. Um, And so I think that also creates a need for what I'm doing, which is usually in ancient days, private equity or somebody much later would be looking at the unit economics and the level of detail that I think series A investors are now looking at. And I think that's just going to continue. So, and, and I think founders are benefiting to the extent that they can go out and get a small amount of money uh, faster. They want that, right? That startups don't yeah. want to have to go pitch, you know, a huge pitch over a very long time horizon. They want to be able to get a small amount of money just what they need. And I think SimSAS can enable that um, by letting them share those details really easily with investors. So um, yeah, so that's the third one. This is trend. Nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you got a business then. <laughs> yeah. What do we have? We have, uh, we, we have these inevitable trends working in our favor. Um, we just need to figure out how to, uh, how to sail on them or whatever metaphor you want to use. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we're right about our our assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. For those to be wrong, I think pretty big things would have to happen. Yeah. For for both of us. Hopefully. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to fly over the updates? Yeah. People know what we've been up to. Sure. Um, So updates. I am zeroing in on the final list of things I want to do before I launch. Um, That for me has taken the form of kind of this convergence of, you know, I was working on features that I just knew I needed. I was working on pricing and packaging, which I knew I needed. It's kind of working independently on these different aspects of the business. Now what I'm doing is saying, okay, convergence is happening. It's becoming really clear to me what I need to have on the first day that I open this thing up for just free access. And that kind of means that the features that I don't need for that are not going to get built. (laughs) And the, you know, and the, the things that I do need for that are going to get built. And it's just becoming really clear to me now what that final list of things is that I need to go through before I can flick the switch. And then, Hey, I can go back to the roadmap and the other stuff that I wanted to do. But, um, the critical path is becoming clear is another way of saying that. And for me, I think that means that even things like the API, although there's interest and demand, I don't 
think I need to go live with that. I think the people who actually have expressed interest in having an API into some SaaS are willing to have that two weeks later, <laughs> as opposed to before it goes live, right? Um, it also means that I really starting to crystallize the pricing and packaging. The calls that I've had with Rob have been really productive in that uh, vein. And I'm feeling, uh, I'm really excited about implementing those. So uh, things like what, I, what I'm now looking at, just summarize this way, what I, the approach I'm now taking to getting this thing out the door is really thinking about the journey that someone takes, whether they're an investor or a startup founder, from the time they hear about the product to the time that they are a paying customer and just making sure that each step of that journey is built out, right? Not, not the full blown version of each step of that journey, but like there's no gaps in that journey so that they can move to the next stage. So that's kind of my, and, and it's there in raw form, but you know, these are the days of optimizing the heck out of signup flows and making sure invites work and, just all of that um, at the one end and on the other end. Hey, can they give me the credit card number when I ask for it? <laughs> and does it charge? And you know, all all those things. So, uh, but the customer journey approach is the one I'm going to take. I think in September to just feel good about. Hey, it's complete. It's not finished, <laughs> but it's complete, and I can I can push this thing out the door. It's out of beta, maybe. Out of beta, maybe. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to talk about that. Um, what, what, what is your out of beta date, my friend? You said you don't have product market fit yet, but that's that's different. Um, I, I don't know yet. Yeah, we, we talked about this. I don't know if beta is really even a good word for... No, I don't use beta anymore, really. Yeah, yeah. I used it for the, like, for the integration I just released. There's like a beta period for the integration and like there was like a beta list as well mm. um, but the tool itself the core tool i don't call it beta anymore that's probably i mean that's good obviously if you have people testing this now with real code in their real environments um, yeah exactly and i mean it, it, it's the perennial beta thing i mean it's silly when you think about it but that's all it is um i think you know, confidence is really what it is. And that's, um, you're the judge of that. So are you confident that this thing is ready for prime time? Yeah, I mean, the the engine is fine. Like, I don't worry about that because it's all, it's all Google Cloud, basically. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm not too worried about that. That's what I tell people right now. Like, if you're afraid that you can, like, shut down a Google Cloud data center, then maybe we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Maybe I'm too cocky about it. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so what yeah. about you? What's uh, I know that you are, uh, on the personal side, in the moving throes of moving, but how's work? Yeah, I'm actually back in Denmark in my little cabin waiting for the keys to be handed over oh. for our new Glasgow flat. But it's okay. going to be a few weeks before that happens. So went back to Denmark, chill a bit. Right. Nice. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that, I mean, is that just a really easy, uh, that's like a, a one and a half hour flight. Really? Okay, cool. cool. From so, Edinburgh yeah. to Copenhagen. So that's super easy. Cool. And it's Ryanair EasyJet or something, so it's also okay. super cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I mean, that's like you're getting the 
that's the right tool for the job. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So basically I have been, besides working on the Pantheon integration I talked about last week and released last week, I made some updates this week based on the feedback I got from them and then released a big, a big, um, update to how branch handles uh, webhooks from github because right in until a few days ago basically branch only listened for whenever you pushed code to github but now it is integrating with the the pull requests uh, much deeper so basically listen for more different types of webhooks from github instead of just the push webhooks so I'm I'm pleased with how that turned out and it it enabled this really cool feature on Pantheon where basically every time you open a pull request on GitHub that results in a staging site being created with the code base from that specific pull request. Wow. So whenever you your developer has like worked on a new feature, you basically just have a link to check out those features on a staging site. Wow. Um, that is very exciting i think that's that's super cool um so yeah i released that yesterday and um pantheon the guy i'm working with there announced it to their own community they have like a, a forum um yeah. kind of asking for testers and haven't gotten too much response from that right before our recording here i also sent out an email to my own list so i'm waiting for, to see if if some people will get back to me and um then yeah I, this is like the plan right now is to just get a few people in to test the stuff we've been building this week next week and then probably two weeks from now we'll have like a more like a launch where we have some blog posts lined up that we're going to work on next week uh kind of announce the integration and uh, hopefully <laughs> I'll get some traction based on that. Yeah, what's kind of the continual push that happens after that? Like, is it what? What's the ongoing acquisition? Um, basically, the the what I hope is that they'll start recommending Branch to their customers whenever they ask for for CI/CD solution, and they do. They actually do workshops for their agencies, like their okay. customers. Got it. Where okay. they where they they teach them teach them how to do this stuff, and the plan is that they're going to talk about branch there as well that's great um yeah so that's super exciting i mean they it they seem to be really excited about the integration and i'm super excited about it and when people see it they're excited about it so i feel like the final step is to just get some customers in the door yeah um because like the the my biz dev game has been really strong i feel like i've been talking to a lot of different companies and I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline right now that potentially could be really good, but I still like, I want to like, I really want some concrete results, which means paying customers. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Then for, as part of the whole like strategy thing, I'm also trying to think about like, like I, I don't want to rely on other companies to basically I don't. I mean, I don't want everything to just stall because they don't do whatever they told me they would do. So I'm trying to like line up other project uh, projects 
um, and like milestones I want to reach. Like I want to improve the testing experience. I want to have like a build out the the way I do templates for build steps, and I want to like basically prepare uh, for not a launch, but more like the self-service engine that you talked about as well. Um, so kind of think about those things so I don't forget about it and get to spend all my time on all this business development stuff, integrations and stuff, because it is a little bit dependent on how much effort they put into it as well. And I don't want to be too reliant on that, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, you, have, you have to have your own organic path. Um, yeah, exactly. It's good. So, uh, yeah, I, as I said in the beginning, like the assumptions really helped me kind of stay on track this week because I was feeling a little burned out, I think. And I was very heads down in the past few weeks on stuff and in the code base. And it's easy to kind of like forget the big picture. Um, but I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm back on track. I'm ready to hit the weekend and then. <laughs> yeah. I think it also helps too, where you realize, look, this is a huge wave. And even if I miss one or two little things or I, you know, you just don't get as much uh, fear that you're going to miss it because mm -hmm. it's so big. Yeah. How can you miss it? So if you're like, look, I, I'd love to do this this week, but I need to do this instead. It's the right thing for the business. It just helps you think longer term is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 So well, I actually, in in Notion, I created like a, a Kanban board with uh, with all my like big projects and milestones. And then just to kind of like move them around, see where they are and like what I have kind of lined up in my pipeline to start working on. So like if something doesn't turn out the way I hoped it would turn out, I can kind of just like grab the next thing and pull it in to what I'm doing this week and start working on a new big thing that's exciting. So hopefully that will keep me motivated as well. Yeah, you and I are due for a Q3. Uh, well, it'll be it'll be almost time to do a Q4 planning session sometime in the yeah. coming weeks. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm excited about that. We need to schedule that soon. Yeah, that'll be a September activity. So. Yep. Cool. Cool, man. Want to wrap it? Let's wrap it. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Bye. Bye.